the prevalence of pornography has really transformed the relationships with sex in ways that one, so we as a society hasn't really thought about and we had no control over. It was all determined by the tech gods. Hey everyone, welcome back to Moment of Truth, the podcast of American Moment. My name is Saurabh Sharma. I'm the president of American Moment, and I'm joined by Nick, but he is not here for the intro and outro, but he will be here uh, for the main episode, and we have a fantastic episode for you guys today. Um, as always, be sure to check out um, everything we have cooking at AmericanMoment.org other than this fantastic podcast. Again, we're like almost 50 episodes of backlog content, so there's tons uh, to look at there, especially if you're road tripping um, this spring. But um, more importantly, the Fellowship for American Statecraft, one of our flagship programs, the application for that is alive and it's coming up towards its end. So make sure um, that you apply for that if you're a young person who wants to get their first job in D.C. placed at a Senate Hill office or a House office or a public policy organization and get paid to do it. That program is for you. We don't require any establishment credentials, whether it's an Ivy League education or really any college education at all. We're just looking for people who who are aligned with us, who are driven, and who want to fight. So uh, that's AmericanMoment.org slash fellowship. And um, be sure to rate and review this podcast. It really helps us out. Share it on social media platforms. We're on a lot of them. We're on uh, Rumble as well. I think we have a Getter account, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Um, just be sharing our content it really helps on most places you can find us at AmMoment.org. Uh, our guest today is uh, someone uh, brilliant, someone we look up to for a very long time. We have on Professor Adam Kandub, who's a professor of law at Michigan State University, where he directs its intellectual property, information, and communications law program. Under the Trump administration, he served as the acting assistant secretary of commerce for telecommunications and information and the deputy associate attorney general. He headed up something called the NTIA. Uh, prior to entering academia, he worked at private law firms and the Federal Communications Commission, and he was a law clerk to J. Clifford Wallace on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Um, he has been one of the longest, um, uh, you know, critics of big tech on uh, Section 230 on antitrust. He has been one of the most entrepreneurial and interesting people fighting on this issue for a very long time. He's also a fellow at the Center uh, for Renewing America, a senior fellow there, and uh, is doing great work with our friends Russ Vogt, who we interviewed last season on the podcast and who recently celebrated the one-year anniversary of their organization, as we have as well. Um, so be sure to check out his work at uh, renewingamerica.org. Um, unfortunately, you can't find him on social media, but we had a fantastic discussion about um, Section 230, yes, antitrust, yes, but also just more broadly about human flourishing in the digital age and how we actually reconcile these extremely disruptive technologies with a, a genuinely conservative way of living. There's always some uh, wholesome libertarian bashing poked in there, but also some discussion of ways that we may be able to partner with libertarians in order to really reconcile um, the existing order, uh, the nexus of private and corporate power that exists, especially in the digital space, um, with things that we all care about, the thriving of small business and so on. And so uh, be sure to check out the episode. It's it's a great one, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And thank you guys for listening, as always. And so we'll go now to Adam Kandub uh, and Nick Solheim, who, who will be during the episode uh, talking as well. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll go now to Adam. 
Adam, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's a real pleasure. Uh, we always like to start with how people got to the point where they are today. You have a very interesting history on the issues you've been involved in and, and the way that your career has gone. Tell us, tell us the story of how you became um, uh, the person you are today involved in everything that you are. Well, um, I, I started as a, a lawyer in D.C., like a lot of people, and um, I worked in um, a, private law firms and also in the FCC for a while, I'm back in private law firms, um, mostly concentrating on communications and antitrust law. Uh, and then I, I got a position in academe, and I've been a professor at Michigan State University for oh, coming on 20 years. Um, and uh, so I, early on, um, I sort of took a different point of view when it comes to some communications issues that became important, such as Section 230. Um, I became one of the few academics that really was very much against um, what that provision would become, which would become a sort of um, immunity for the major platforms to deplatform people. And I thought it was a threat to free speech. Uh, I, I think as early as 2016, you begin to see that, that the Silicon Valley had emerged as arbiters of what is true and good and right in our society and no one elected them and they in fact represent a very sort of parochial minority and that became to me a very um, important issue um, so I began to write about it uh, and then one day out of the blue I get a call from uh, White House personnel asking me if I <laughs> want to um, get involved in uh, the National Telecommunications and Information Authority. And in fact, you know, I, I have a background in it. I mean, I, I'm an expert in coming. That sounds pompous, but um, <laughs> you are. I, 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 <laughs> we grant you the title of expert. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, in communications law, I, 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 I'm, I've spent 20 years doing telecom. I'm familiar with spectrum issues. So I, it was something that seemed really interesting. And um, I, I said, sure, I'll give it a try. Why not? Uh, and uh, I started out there as deputy and to my surprise, uh, out of the blue, uh, tr um, President Trump uh, revived the executive order on Section 230. And so all of a sudden, NTIA became the center of this of, 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 of those issues at the time. Um, and, you know, I, I later was um, uh, made acting um acting administrator of NTIA. And then in the last uh, month or so of the Trump administration, I, I moved over to justice um, as uh, deputy associate attorney general. So to kind of lay the groundwork for our listeners who may not be super familiar with Section 230, aside from uh, all the libertarians screaming about it on Twitter, uh, <laughs> what is Section 230? Um, how does it apply uh, to a lot of these big tech companies? How should conservatives be thinking about it? Yeah, the way the libertarians talk about it, I believe it was handed down by Moses, written in stone <laughs> tablets 2,000 years ago. Is that right? <laughs> the 11th commandment. Yeah, the 11th. Well, it it's really a, a terribly misunderstood and 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 um, statute, and I'm happy to talk about it. Um, but also, I, I think conservatives should remember it's a sideshow, um, in the sense that it's very important. It should be reformed, but the bigger issue is that we have these. We have these um, huge tech platforms that just exercise a disproportionate power in, in our society. And that's really the main problem we have to get at. But yeah, we're getting to Section 230. So Section 230 started um, as really 
an effort to encourage platforms to get rid of pornography. And if you look, it's, it was part of the Communications Decency Act. And the uh, and there are two parts of it, one, was, one, one of which was declared unconstitutional, but 230 survived. And 230 said, look, um, if, if you read the congressional record, there are all these congressmen and senators getting very exercised about pornography. It's hard to remember I, in fact, I imagine you guys don't because you're so young. <laughs> but in the 1990s, it was a horrifying thing that, you know, you know, 14 or 15-year-old Johnny could import into his bedroom all the pornography in the world. Um, this was a very different sort of um, phenomena that people have experienced before. And people were rightly upset. I think they should be rightly upset. It, it, I think um, the prevalence of pornography has really transformed the relationships with sexes in ways that one sweet society hasn't really thought about and we had no control over. It was all determined by the tech gods. Um, so the so the problem was um, at the time, the 1990s, again, this is ancient history for you, um, you know, right after they started writing in cuneiform, um, <laughs> we had, uh, you know, dial up Internet. And if you this is what they were. This is what the um, congressmen and, and, and senators were thinking about the age of AOL and Prodigy. And they were walled gardens, if you remember, and they had bulletin boards. And there was this one case that said, look, Prodigy is advertising itself as a family friendly uh internet service provider. So they're going to edit all the bulletin boards, take rid of the dirty words and bad words and dirty pictures. And there's one case that said, look, if Prodigy does that, then it's going to be legally liable for the entire bulletin board. So all the um, libel or defamation or criminal threats, they will be liable for. And of course, the ISP industry didn't like that ruling. So what did they do? They went to Congress and said, get us a new law. And thus, they were given Section 230. And Section 230 said, look, if you take down dirty pictures, it's you know obscene, um, lewd, lascivious, extremely violent or harassing, um, you're not responsible for your whole platforms. Uh, and that was that's what it was about. That's all it was about. It was, it was to say, look, if... If these wall gardens want to kick out porn, they're not going to be liable for every comment on their bulletin boards. But what it has become, uh, thanks to some really bad court rulings, um, which I think Justice Thomas in a, in a last year in a recent uh, uh, statement on, on sociori pointed out, um, it's become a get out of jail free for liability for anything. So they can kick you off and uh, they can deplatform you on the basis of race or religion. Um, they're immune from civil rights law. They're immune from even contract law, thanks to Section 230. So that has to be reformed. Um, but to me, that's, in a way, that's a side show. And, you know, the, the real more important issue is, uh, can we as a society reexert ourselves over the central um, sort of nervous system of our society so we can understand how ideas are being exchanged um, and make sure that it's truly reflective of um, American society. So I, I find that question very interesting, and I'm heartened to to hear you zoom out um, on that because it, it, the, the conversations in D.C. often seem so parochial uh, when it comes to just Section 230. And I think that conservatives should care about it, but only insofar as the conversation is about human flourishing in the digital age more broadly. And and it seems like that's that's how you're thinking about it as well. So we had on a, a fellow by the name of Antonio Garcia Martinez a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And um and and he, I think, takes uh he, he was literally responsible for designing the technology that eventually became targeted advertising. Um and he essentially had the line that uh the, the 
tail wagging the dog um, over the last 30 years has been technological innovation and the story is DC catches up to it. That policy, um, at least the way that it's made in the United States, really doesn't have a way to uh, either the willingness, capability, um, or really ability to shape uh, the way that digital technology um, evolves. Do you think that's true? I mean, ca can policymakers actually do anything? Or does Silicon Valley operate at a clip and a rapidity that the people in this town can never hope to match? Well, I think Silicon Valley operates like all businesses, wealthy businesses, not necessarily with rapidity and clip, but with a, a, a checkbook <laughs> uh, uh, that makes it very difficult to counter. Uh, you know, even as an academe, you know, I go to academic conferences and I look out at my fellow academics and I know a number of the most ardent supporters are getting nice little checks from Google or Facebook. And of course, if we go in the DC environment, it's even more so. Um, so I don't know whether we have a political economy that can even address those questions. But I, I, I do think it's possible. Um, what amazes me is that these questions have never been even asked. Um, so um, I imagine you gentlemen are, are, are not at the age of having kids or started having kids or. I mean, he may start soon. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's something that it, it took me by surprise. I mean, I have to admit it, a failure as a parent. But in many ways, parents are no longer raising their children as those friggin' screens. And because if you mm. look at, if we consider education as a process of sort of coming up to your peers, moving up to expectations, um, uh, becoming part of standards and, and, and reflecting yourself amongst you know, people who are viewing you and judging you, it's not your parents who are doing it. It's not your teachers who are doing it. It's their, their TikTok communities. Mm. Uh, and we never really thought about that. We just said, okay. And, um, you, you know, so so people like, you know, Jonathan Haidt, who is certainly no conservative, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he points this out, that it, they've been profoundly destructive for children. Um, social media in particular is associated with obesity, depression, mental illness, um, Particularly with younger with with young girls and with women and young girls, no, that's young women and girls. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we just don't care. And I think it also it's a fault with us because you know you it's so much easier to have your iPad parent your kids and you're doing it yourself. It's mm. so much easier for teachers to say, oh, do this online exercise rather than actually lecture. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, like so much in in big tech, they're able to sort of put their finger on, on our moral weaknesses mm -hmm. and profit from it, and at the same time degrade all of society. Yeah, it's actually a, a really interesting thought. I, I was just thinking about how, um, do you guys remember that like first big, uh, the big tech bill that Holly had that, uh, but you know, part of what was included in it was uh, like banning infinite scroll. Yep. Uh, and I remember at the time, I mean, conservatives like basically as a monolith almost all of them were against this i mean they were like this is this is ridiculous like you know the fact that you should be able to uh or that you should be able to stop companies from providing you endless content and entertainment uh is crazy that's not like conservative at all and it's crazy for me to like spend time around uh young people who because of you know the dopamine addiction can't go for 20 minutes without like scrolling through something. I mean, of course, I'm talking about <laughs> you, uh, but, um, you know, can't go 20 minutes and also my wife, uh, but can't can't go for 
20 minutes, you know, without scrolling through Instagram, TikTok yep. or whatever. And I've been kind of using this anecdote. I know this family that lives uh, in the same neighborhood as my wife and I, and they have three kids and they have this rule in their house that uh, for like during the work week. So, you know, for the five days of the week, uh, there's no screens in their household for any of their kids. And then on the weekends, they like watch classic movies together. And I've been using this anecdote with you know, a couple different like married folks. I mean, my wife and I are recently married, but uh, we have a lot of friends who are married also, some who are just now having children. And the reactions have ranged from, you know, that doesn't go far enough. I want to live in like a Luddite cabin in the woods uh, <laughs> to that's barbaric. This is the world that we live in now. You know, children should have that access. And I'm kind of reminded of when, you know, uh, uh, when Burke talks about uh, liberty, you know, he says it's much easier to have complete and unadulterated liberty and freedom than it is to actually, you know, rule. Now he's talking about like, you know, ruling and pushing people towards a prosperous life through government. But I think the same principle applies to households. Our personal right? lives. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, there's so much there. And, and I, 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 I just, just on the, the last point, um, talking about rule um rule of oneself um having discipline control to focus and concentrate on let's say your studies or your work um screens undermine that ability Mm. um they 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 make people need distraction they make people unable to concentrate and and especially with children the profoundly negative effect um and uh you know getting back to the holly bill um yeah, I remember the reaction to it. And I remember reading it and thinking, this is probably one of the most forward-looking bills ever, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. introduced. Because it recognizes that, yes, there, there's, there are profound behavioral consequences of our interaction with screens. Um, and we don't really understand that. Um, and getting back to your point, Sarab, about how, you know, can we catch up with technology? That's an area I don't think we have. We don't really realize how our relationships with the screens have transformed who we are and i think because there's no control group there's we no just control. decided to exactly. deploy this on exactly. mass across yeah. the right. entire globe a- a- especially on our kids yeah. um and uh uh maybe the amish <laughs> maybe the amish well right precise but but you know it's funny you think about the amish and um i'm, I'm from actually <laughs> suburban pennsylvania the excerpts of pennsylvania uh, philadelphia so i know a little bit about them and you know they're, they're very thoughtful so for instance when they had they had issues with um actually a genetic syndrome that they had to sort of deal with and 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 um do with sort of you know, figure out who was carrying it you know they, they were very welcoming of, of of genetic science to figure out what was going on but they sort of realized look you know this sort of technology um whether it's television or motors or whatever disrupts our culture which is really the most important thing which is bringing up kids to be like us and uh we never have that thought at all we're just like oh it's new it's cool yay um and i i i I think it's very very worrisome um and one last thing getting back to you know conservatives and libertarians you know if we're honest about screens they really disrupt all of those basic assumptions that you we all get in, in micro you know microeconomics 101 you know the, you know the, the clever kid in the class goes well you know, professor well if utility is the measurement of all things what about drug addicts who get utility from drugs and then you know the, <laughs> oh no well we, we won't worry about that oh you know professor um well you know I, I i may engage in this activity and i may enjoy for two hours but 
or four hours, but at the end of the day, I'm unhappy. Um, oh, don't worry about that. You know, we, utility is measured by consumption. Um, we don't worry about happiness, things like that. Um, and screens present those issues in a real mm -hmm. way. And conservatives, you know, are still in this old fashioned libertarian framework where it's just like, well, if you're using it and you like it, it and, and it's making people money, it must be good. I'm like, well, no, it's not. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of that with um, like the porn debate. I mean, you brought that up initially and i think there's uh social media and and basically how it's melting our brains i i think i was kind of skeptical about this initially i mean when holly had this bill i think it was 20 was it 20 well, he got elected in 2018 yeah so 2018. i think it was 2019 i was a little skeptical at first but over the last so for the last year i've not had any social media apps on my phone um i just got rid of them all uh, and so I, and you're much happier and you lost weight and, <laughs> yeah, and no, you're, seriously. you're training for a marathon. <laughs> so I actually, I actually lost, uh, in 2020, I lost 70 pounds. Uh, <laughs> okay, there I, you like, go. Yeah. I like got in shape, started reading. I read like 57 books last year. I mean, it was crazy. Um, but the, you know, the thing that I notice is, you know, when I log into Twitter on my, on my desktop, um, the next day I always like have a headache. I'm not like used to the dopamine anymore. Right. And so. Like last night, you know, I was scrolling Twitter on my iPad uh, too late because of, you know, uh, the Russian-Ukrainian war. Uh, and this morning I'm like, man, I just feel like garbage. I didn't sleep well. <laughs> you know, I don't think I realized how, um, you know, how much of a of of a sway and, and, and power these social media companies have uh, over our even like our wellness. Yeah. Um, so. In your mind, what are some like practical solutions aside from, you know, outright banning infinite scroll, which we've already talked about a little bit, but that people can kind of reintroduce some kind of normal wellness into their lives? Well, from a legislative perspective, I think the first place to start is with kids, because I think that's a, that's a place where legally we have the most ability because there's ever the First Amendment exception for them. Um, but one of the most basic things, um, something I've been working on at the, the Center for um, uh, Renewing America, um, has been, I'll be very practical here, mm -hmm. um, the, the so-called um, Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. And it, it has to be one of the worst statutes ever passed by congress um because it does the opposite i mean the the very, uh, title of yeah yeah well I, okay i mean that's a very competitive title um but i mean it, yeah, it, i was it, gonna say there's yeah, been a lot yeah there's been a lot okay so so maybe it maybe makes a short list but i mean the idea is that uh when was this passed by the way this was in 1998 okay and uh the idea is that the online firms should not be collecting information about our kids without our permission and they do it all the time. <laughs> uh, um, didn't work. It didn't work. Well, well, because it did the opposite. Essentially, said it created this incredibly high standard for liability. Um, it said that they could track. It only applied to children who were thirteen and under. Um, and and then, of course, it then um, preempted all state laws that could privacy laws that could attempt, attempt that could be used against the platforms. So it it did the opposite of what it purported to do. It didn't protect children's privacy. It in fact made it impossible to protect. Uh, and so, you know, a requirement, for instance, that, you know, no social media company can have an account with a, 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 a minor without, you know, a signed um, 
a signed uh, notarized statement from their parent, parents, which Facebook shall keep on file for inspection. <laughs> I, I don't recall <laughs> that being a requirement when I made my Facebook yeah, account. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but, but, but I mean, if you talk about a, a serious policy response, it's saying, look, hands off our kids. Um, you know, you don't, you know, we have no problem saying that with Joe Camel. We had no problem saying that to the cigarette companies, you know, stop that. We should have the same gumption with the online platforms because mm -hmm. I think it's possible, who knows, but I think it's within with the realm of the possible that you know, 30 years back, 30 years from now, we'll look at this at your generation. <laughs> it's like, what have we done? Well, not you, of course, yeah. but um, but a, a huge number of, uh, of lives that were somewhat stunted or um, not led, led as, as happily and, and, and completely as possible because they have been wasted on these ridiculous apps. Yeah, I mean, brain chemistry is plastic, but only or but only so much, right? right? And so, um, on the pornography topic as well, I, I know that one of the big statistics that that pe the people, child psychologists and, and and such who look at this sort of thing, is is sort of age of first exposure. And if you can delay that as much as humanly possible, the 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 benefits for for children's um, ability to to pair bond, to have healthy sex lives, to to, to lead normal, well functioning lives is is dramatically improved. And it's 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 relatively marginal. Like if, it, if you can just increase from ten to thirteen, you can see dramatic benefits. Benefits, um, especially when it comes to prepubescent exposure, and I can't help but wonder: um, is technology addiction very similar to that? Um, I I was very lucky that even though I, I I basically grew up, I was born in 1998, so when I was a child, it was essentially a choice that parents could make: either your kid could be a screen kid, or they may not. And I really screens became a much bigger part of my life by the time I was a teenager but before that they really weren't they were right. just part of my life they weren't all of it and um, I thank God every day that my parents had the wherewithal in order to do that right. both when it came to the big screen in the form of television the smaller ones in the form of video games and certainly when it came to cell phones and such but um, that's the last generation that's going to have that that differential and I know kids that are just a little bit younger than me who the iPad was practically the pacifier yeah. um, mm -hmm. and uh, and and that's one of the most look I, I don't want to you know publicly criticize parents in public who are you know parenting you know right. it's, uh, God bless them for having kids at all because that's right. not right. even a given right. these days but you know when I see like oh a, a screaming child iPad like that being the answer it just seems inappropriate and so um, when it comes to delaying first exposure unfortunately uh, for digital technology more broadly and the the addictive cycle of digital technology it seems much more complicated than just the narrow question of porn it's how do you prevent children from being exposed to these dependency pathways that technology companies have essentially monetized systematically over the last 10 to 15 years what what would that look like because it's not just I mean, at this point, the 13-year-olds don't want a Facebook account. What, what would it look like more broadly when it comes to digital technology to have a regulatory regime and a legal regime that actually protected kids from whatever the analogy to first exposure would be yeah. in this case? I, to be honest, um, I, I'm not quite sure I know. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly having accounts for social media, as you point out, you know, most kids today don't want uh, Facebook 
accounts, but I think they want Instagram accounts. Maybe yeah. I'm, I'm wrong there. I don't know. You guys can. They, they, <laughs> they, they do. The TikTok's uh, the actual TikTok, which we'll yeah. get to yeah. in well, a second. Yeah. Which, which is um, back into the NTIA, which is something <laughs> we tried to kick out of the United States, which yeah. would have been a great thing. But oh, well, um, that was blocked by a, a federal judge. Thank you, judiciary. But uh, uh, the, it's a problem that requires thought, and nobody even is, is thinking about that. I mean, fundamentally, it is parents' job to make sure that these these um, uh, devices aren't in, aren't in their kids' hands, or if they are, that they're monitored. Um, but it has to be a, a social phenomenon too. So, for instance. Um, I remember a conversation I had with a teacher and um, for my youngest, and the question was, should we get a fifth grader an iPhone? And her, her position was, well, yes, you should, because everyone else has it, and they will be socially uh, isolated. Um, and she won. I didn't want a socially isolated kid. Um, uh, it's you know, burdened enough having me as a dad. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's a problem i mean that is a problem that is becoming expected in our society um schools require it in a sense because you you and um i think the whole online movement in schools has been a disaster i think learning Mm. through screens is terrible uh and uh i think the teachers union love it loves it because it makes things easier administrators love it because it makes things easier and gives them more power but of course that's not what education is about. Um, if you look at the private schools in Silicon Valley, they don't teach through screens. They teach the old <laughs> Russian method of, you know, teaching mathematics, and um, which obviously is good for some things, you know, yeah. um, as we are learning out today. Uh, but uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, I think the first step really is to just get it out of the schools and and just say, look, we're not going to accept that. I mean, I, I look back and I sort of kicked myself and told the teacher, you know, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? But I, I mean, I didn't. I mean, we're flawed. We don't realize things. Um, but that will be the first step, uh, I think. Um, pornography is a really difficult, interesting question. Um, I mean, uh, Michael Regnerus, are you familiar with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of work. And, you know, we're seeing a tremendous amount of sexual dysfunction in 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 uh, 20s and 30 year olds. Uh, you know, they're not marrying, they're not dating, they're not having sex. Um, you know, when I was younger, everyone was worried about you know premarital sex and children out of wedlock. Now we're just worried about having any children at all. Yeah. Um, you know, which is worse, um, uh, a sex society or a dead one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Um, and uh, uh, you. Is it you know kids uh, having um, kids out of wedlock, or is it you know kids not wanting to have kids? Uh, so uh, this is a problem, and I think a lo- again a large portion of this has to do with this unexamined relationship we have with our screens, yeah. um, and we just need to know more. Yeah. So I think an interesting question in all this is uh, I've 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 seen a lot of people kind of push back. I don't know. There's kind of been like two schools of thought with this. Like one is that we just need to kind of withdraw from this online digital space entirely. I mean, again, kind of the the Luddite view that like we just need to move to cabins in the woods. We need to pull our kids out of school, homeschool, not allow anyone to have fun. And to be clear, we are very friendly and sympathetic to the Luddite. View. <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Uh, it is probably what I will end up doing in the next five years. <laughs> right. uh, but then there's also, you know, some of the more... Uh, you know, people who are more on probably the realist or more like optimistic side uh, of these things that say like we have to we have to find a way to like live in balance, because if we just retreat from this digital sphere, I mean, it'll just go to 
hell and anarchy and we'll be our, you know, little small communities in the woods. But, uh, you know, our country will still be going to hell. Uh, so what do you like? How is there how can conservatives be thinking about how to create a, a digital world that's balanced without fully just retreating from it entirely? I mean, I, I don't think it's that difficult. We just create balanced people uh, and and people who can say, well, that it's is easy, to, yeah, say. easy yeah. to say. Right. Well, that's a simple answer. Um, it's not a easily achieved answer. Uh, and um, how do you do that? Well, you train kids to be interested in a bunch of things not just on their screens and you know it's missing just disciplining time make sure they're outside make sure they're reading make sure they're helping you out in the, you know uh outside with with chores or with you know kitchen work or whatever um and that is a challenge because you know the 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 screen is the the siren of our times but you know, people do it i think it's possible um Going back to, I think one of the interesting things about balance, and, and I'll just, just share this from my personal experience. Um, one of the things that made me much more negative about the uh, possibility of humanity, let me put it that way, is how little we've done with the internet in the sense yeah. that it's so extraordinary. From I remember when I was growing up. Getting books would be somewhat difficult. You know, you, you go to the library, and I remember being disappointed. I couldn't find this book or that book, and I'd have to wait. No one has to wait anymore for any book. You know, you can get any Shakespeare play performed on YouTube. Yeah. You can get any opera that you want. Uh, you can. Uh, it's all there, and nobody does it. <laughs> Very few people. It's not T as if we time time preference really isn't operative anymore. You no, know, exactly. Society, That's yeah. right. And we haven't seen this tremendous cultural flowering. We haven't mm. seen. We, we've just seen TikTok. <laughs> and we've just gone immediately to the lowest level. And and I, I don't know whether we can build up from that. But I, it, it, I, I just wanted to put that as a you know yeah depressing aside on this. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> on this I think Thursday I, morning. I think an interesting anecdote to add to that is I'm actually reading. Uh, uh, Senator Hawley's book on TR that he wrote in like 2008. Right. Um, it's very good. Highly recommended. Talk. You know, we should put it on Amcanon. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's on Amcanon. I'm going to talk to Jake about that. But uh, he he like talks about. I was ju I was just reading this this morning and thinking about it that that TR like over a summer in Germany learned like german french and right. like a smattering of spanish by just like reading books and i was sitting here thinking like nobody would ever do that now you know like just spend a whole summer reading and learn like three languages you know right i mean and again i i think that has to do with the nature of focus because yeah. um we are we're creatures that love to be diverted we we are constantly and and if you have nothing to do, uh, if there's no telephone <laughs> and there's even no people around, you'll you know you'll sit on your ass and you'll learn German and <laughs> and uh, and we 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 don't do to the opposite. Everything in our society goes the opposite way. And you know, getting back to your notion of you know self rule and Burkean government, are we just being hollowed out as people? To me, that's my greatest worry. I mean, mm. as, as, as a professor, I guess all old guys look at you know, young people's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I really wonder. Um, I mean, I, I'm curious what you think about your peers. I mean, certainly it's not, it's not a criticism that you guys get because, you know, you are leaders and, and, uh, and of, you know, and our hope. But 
there seems to be something hollowed out uh, in in uh, a lot of people today. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it's largely this dependent nature. I, I can't if I don't have the screen, I won't mm-hmm. be diverted. I won't want to do with myself, and that creates mm-hmm. a panic and weakness in people. So yeah, no, I think that's all right. And you know, I want to go to the kind of macro forces that allowed it to get like this because it it, it feels like in another era there there's it could have it. It never should have gotten this bad. And the reason why is because Silicon Valley and digital technology, specifically around the consumer internet, has a sweetheart deal regulatorily that allows it to operate at a pace um, and and with an addictiveness that no business with uh, in the world of atoms as opposed to the world yep. of bits would ever be able to get away yeah, with yeah. Uh, because we have um a legal tradition uh and and a regulatory tradition and also just a, a downstream political culture that understands what to do with very addictive substances we, right. we understand how to regulate drugs we uh, you know we just did it with jewel you know we, 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 we we know we, we have the muscle memory in order to talk about it but we don't have it with silicon valley and so um Talking about uh, this is, is, I think, very foreign to conservatives because it is only the left that thinks in terms of theories of governance today. Uh, the right has no such thing, uh, and it has no way of actually considering um, what uh, a legal regime for the digital age would look like. I mean, it, again, you can't get conservatives in this town on the same page on even Section 230, maybe right. one of the most minor changes we could make. It would have an obviously large impact, but it's it's marginal. And yeah. and you can even frame it as a deregulatory thing if you really want to. Right. Um, and so wh- wh- going back to Section 230, because it does seem like one of the things that allowed for specifically consumer social media companies to proliferate dramatically, um, c- c- can you describe the trajectory after 1998 that allowed it um, to to create um, this massive explosion in social media companies. Yeah. Um, so, and getting back to uh, your point, which I think is absolutely right, Rob, is that Silicon Valley moved too fast. Mm-hmm. It, it, it transformed too quickly, mm-hmm. and, and and regulation never caught up. So, you know, the earliest television regulation goes back to the 1930s. Uh, I mean, when there was a it was a theoretical uh, technology, but already the FCC was there with its moni- <laughs> you know FDR's you know uh, FCC was there with you know getting its little finger in, um, and. Uh, we had a greater, much greater sense of control. I'm going to, I, I'm warming up to your question. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, no, please. Uh, and uh, I remember one of the first jobs I got as a young, um, you know, sort of cub attorney was dealing with um, violence on broadcast television in the 1990s. And it's ancient history. It seems quaint. But there were all these groups that were very concerned about um, uh, violence on television. And uh, they would present these very elaborate studies where, you know, we exposed uh, 100 fifth grader boys to Starsky and Hutch and, you know, the other 100 <laughs> to Masterpiece Theater. And, they, you know, the first one, they, they, they played much more violently on the playground. This is a problem. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm being facetious, but you get my... Yeah. But, but the idea is that there was much greater sense of control. It's like, okay, this is an issue and government plays a role here. When um, Section 230 was passed in, 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 
there was no social media. There was no internet. As we, there was no World Wide Web. I mean, it just started in 1995. Um, I mean, for, for most people. Um, I, I remember when I'm a friend of mine, a computer scientist, like, I have to try this out. It's really cool, Adam. Because before the internet. <laughs> and you're like, this is going to ruin my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, and specifically Michigan State, where you now teach, was a big epicenter for this. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, it, you know, the, the um, uh, before everything was much more command line, um, getting online was more difficult. I mean, I remember with with AOL, it took forever to you know make sure your protocols were correct and right and correctly set, and all of a sudden it became very easy. So you know, two thirty was not passed in the world of social media, but it made social media possible mm-hmm. because it said, "Look, guys, you can make money." Essentially, allowing people. Can I say that word? Yeah, okay. sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, essentially able to say- It's a term of art. It's a term of art, that's right. Um, and, and say nasty things about people yeah. and gossip and bring up all the the, the, the the black of their id, and you don't have any liability. And well, this was and, unique. And, and practically speaking from a business model, I, I've- I have tech friends that that have uh, you know used the term tech uh, in a pretty interesting way. They say really what defines a modern tech company, especially in the eyes of venture capital and financiers, is having a uh, cost per customer acquisition of essentially zero, um, because the customers are your product essentially. Right. And and so these companies didn't have to produce anything they just had to attract people that would then produce the things that make them valuable and that's very different than the way we traditionally think about commerce and and yeah please continue yeah no exactly um and uh People never sort of, you know, you remember the old AOL and, and, and Prodigy, you paid for the subscription. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden- We don't was, remember. Well, okay, okay. <laughs> Your parents paid for the subscription. Um, and all of a sudden, it was flipped. And nobody even realized that, okay? So we went from a subscription to essentially broadcast television model before anyone could even blink an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we had social medias that- could exercise this incredible power. Um, so you're right. Um, it, 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 it simply moved too fast. And I mean, to me, one of the most disturbing parts about it is that, um, I mean, it's moved so fast um, that it's really sort of taken away the ability to respond because it's mm-hmm. so rich and because it controls so much of what happens yeah. in the city right now. Yeah. So. Well, I think a very like interesting part of all this too is the is the difference in internet and technology use between the generations. So you know you're talking about this kind of like so my parents met on AOL. How uh, romantic. Living, <laughs> living in living in different states uh, back when the internet was like just chat rooms. That was that was it. Um, I my mom I think was. 16 and my dad was 17 she lived in arkansas my dad lived up in northern minnesota and and so they like met online but then they like switched to phone calls and they called each other for two years and got married so there there's um 19 years between me and my mom and 20 between me and my dad and the way that they use the internet and my dad was in it for for years my parents are missionaries now but um the difference in the way that they use internet in the way that like I use the internet or like that my peers use the internet is insane. I mean, they met on it, but they're using it to like, you know, go back to college and get a seminary degree. Whereas like we're, as you said, posting on, uh, on, on, on TikTok or on Instagram or in my case on Twitter. Uh, And it's, it's just insane to me that it's, that it's, moved so fast i mean you were talking about earlier Shrab, like people a couple of years younger than you just have a 
a completely different outlook on technology, how like the role that it's played in their lives. Um, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis has this quote about uh, like society creating men without chess, right? right? Like, like there's a Greek word for it. I forget something. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but so. it's it. I I almost feel like that's what we've created. I mean, men um, as leaders of society who are not capable of because everything is brought and served to them, um, you know, through the internet. Um, men are not used to having to go and get things anymore or to attain a certain amount of, I know I'm just ranting at this point, but obtain like a certain amount of power or strength to be able to go get certain things. I mean, now you can just like, you know, drop ship things on Amazon to like make a million dollars a year or whatever. Right. No, no, no. I mean, I think that's, um, I, I think that's a profound point in the sense that one not only does it you know, make people weak but it makes people demanding of mm. of of their authority whether it's yeah you know, amazon prime whether it's their online professor whether <laughs> it, it the idea is i just sit here and things should come to me and when right. they don't i get angry at the same point it makes people fearful that's why people are entirely willing to like shoot canadian truckers in the head because yes. their amazon deliveries yes. are yes. getting delayed well, 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 well there's a flip side there's there's a fear to it because you know um, I'm I'm not a particularly good mechanic, but you know the older cars. If something could go wrong, you know it could be fixed. I think maybe. I mean certainly. Um, but newer cars, I can't do it. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know what the hell is going on there. And I think that's a sort of metaphor for all of society. Um, in the sense that we don't have a sense of control um, or skill or skill really, skills yeah. or control and i think that goes to the idea of, uh, of manliness because i mean i think notions of competence and um i mean that's one of the things that men like to pride themselves we can do this uh and i an online environment it's like no you're totally passive uh mm. you can't do anything unless you know Papa Amazon decides or, or Google, you know, Google goddess lets you. And I think that's a very um, debilitating psychological phenomenon. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, you know, I so now is my turn to sound a little pompous. I have a lot of like male. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a professor. It's, it's an occupational hazard. I have so. I have a lot of like male friends that that come to me for like, how do I do X, Y or Z thing? Because. I grew up in the third world most of my teenage years without internet or without a cell phone. I mean, I worked on a hog farm, right. you know, and so you just and I worked with my dad on on like a hydroelectric power plant. So I just learned like how to do little like physical things with right. your hands. Um, and it it has been shocking to me over the last couple of years, especially in in D.C. where everyone's hands are soft and they give weak handshakes where they don't know how to do anything yeah. much of anything right. because all they've had to do is yeah you know, exactly type that's on a computer that's screen right um, and, and that's it uh, no i, I there you know the online environment gives us the illusion that we don't have bodies uh, but the point is we do have bodies and um uh it's it, it's most obvious in, in things like sexual relationships and the screens are disrupting that because mm. I mean, you just look at the numbers and they're very discouraging. And that, of course, leads to unhappiness because, you know, we are connected beings. And, um, you know, the numbers for mental illness for teenagers and, and people in their 20s and 30s, um, the numbers of people that are on 
pharmaceutical, you know, psychotropics, it's insane uh, and from my perspective. And it's one of these un... Um, it's just not examined. And I think there's probably a real connection mm. between that sort of dislocation of self. So. The most extreme example of this, um, and, and really it seems like the the apex of, of the worst of what social media has to offer appears to be TikTok. Um, can you walk us through a little bit of a, uh, you know, what what makes TikTok unique vis-a-vis -vis these other platforms, and then specifically the fight uh, during the Trump administration to potentially uh, solve some of those problems and 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 why it ultimately failed. Well, TikTok is a frightening thing. I, why in the world do we want, you know, a company that is essentially run by the Chinese Communist Party collecting information about all of us, particularly our children, uh, encouraging them to waste their time when they could be studying. Um, and why would we want this? If this were the Soviet Union, if this were Putin's thing, I'm sure everyone would be against it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that was one of the really great things about the Trump administration. You know, he saw that the, the, the true strategic threat to the United States and the entire Western world was China and actually was willing to take some steps to do something. Um, and I, it's unquestionable that TikTok is used to get information about American society um, and that this information, like virtually all information by Chinese companies is shared with the government. Um, so I, American, we, we were totally with in prerogatives to, to ban it. Um, of course, um, social media companies appealed this to a you know liberal judge in California, and uh, these orders were thrown out um, after a huge amount of work mm -hmm. and um, effort. Uh, and uh, you know what can one say? It's just you know where are our priorities as a, as a nation um, that we're, we're getting situations like this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I look back at it and I think of the work that was put into it, um, and it's it's very discouraging. I'm, I'm not going to lie about that. C can you describe a little bit concretely what the mechanism that that the Trump administration was pursuing and what exactly they were trying to get it to do? Because to me, this is a perfect. It it actually may be. I don't know what the long term view on this is going to be. I think it may be one of the biggest failures or, or missed opportunities during the Trump administration, because it may have been the last opportunity to prevent. I mean, TikTok is now the number one website in the world. It right. surpassed Google. Um, it was number seven last year, and it was or the two years ago, and it was number one last year. It's, and so th there was a real opportunity in 2020 to, to potentially do something about this. So what was the exact mechanism that the Trump administration was pursuing um, in order to rein it in and, and to, to ameliorate some of these concerns? Well, it, it had to do with, with certain um, uh, statutes which essentially allow the federal government to prevent foreign entities, foreign um, entities that pose a threat to national security from getting information about the United States, about U.S. citizens, essentially, broadly speaking, anti-espionage statutes. Um, it did require sort of pushing the boundaries a little bit uh, and using it in a new way. Um, and uh, it required you no know, coordination amongst you know, various treasury and commerce and and, and various uh, aspects of government. Um, but yeah, it, it, it basically goes to statutes that prohibit foreign interference in American society and, and, and you know, essentially uh hostile 
countries from from espionage really i mean it, i'm not using it in the technical term but essentially that was that um and so there was in the trump administration there were you know it was you know wechat and tiktok there were you know, extensive efforts to essentially say look you can't offer your facility here i'm just like sorry you know it, it, just like China does not allow Facebook or Google in China, you know, we're not going to let you um, offer these um, platforms because they're used primarily to obtain information about U.S. citizens and and you're a hostile power. Um, this was not, um, uh, and so it was passed and uh, went into effect for like six hours and then it, you know, Silicon Valley and their high-priced lawyers uh, got a injunction from a California um, federal judge and then of course the Biden administration dropped all of it mm -hmm. and you know just we're not interested too bad go ahead TikTok and uh, you know the Biden administration could have continued the the, the um, litigation it could have pursued the orders it just dropped it like a hot potato um and it's just essentially saying you know china come on in welcome and uh uh yeah i, I mean i won't i won't mince words it's one most depressing uh consequences of 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 the election one of our former guests uh on the show terry Schilling, has posted some uh on twitter about how like he's on TikTok, which I think is deeply unfortunate. But <laughs> he uh, he he posts about how frequently. I mean, he's married, he's a dad, um, but was posting about how frequently just like random, extremely sexual content shows up on TikTok. And I was seeing another article about this too. That um, shame on me for reading an article, but uh, that the the amount of like sexual content that's getting and like almost like borderline pornographic content getting recommended to american users is just increasing and increasing and i think this is an interesting concept especially juxtaposed with china's uh kind of resistance against some of the some of the western uh cultural malaise i mean what do you what do you think about uh, you know, like are, are, are Chinese users allowed to see some of this like pornographic content? Do you think it's something they're uh, specifically trying to do to hurt the West or is it just we're really messed up and so the algorithms are making us more messed up? Uh, no, I look. I, I don't know what it's actually like in China, but what you read is that Chinese children are prohibited from, you know, is it three hours a week of video games? Mm -hmm. um, they have a, a a surveillance web in which you know everyone is is, is carefully monitored as what they watch, um, and they are very very concerned that you know how the internet is affecting their children. Um, do I think that they're playing a game of trying to of, of cultural pollution? I think it's very possible. Um, why wouldn't they? I mean, if you believe that you are, um, uh, if you believe that you know you are in a like I imagine the Chinese Communist Party does that they are in an adversarial relationship with the rest of the world and they would like to you know become top dog. You know, of course, let's weaken the moral fiber of our enemies, uh, and that's a very effective way. Mm. Uh, I. I can't imagine that that has not been thought up at the highest levels in, in, in the Communist Party in China. Yeah, of course it has. I suspect. Uh, of course it has. I suspect. I should. <laughs> but yeah, I, and it makes sense. Um, the fact that we can't react to that 
does speak to a weakness in our mm. society um, with the fact that we can and we don't. I mean, I, I imagine 50 years ago, churches, schools, communities would have been able to say no um, and would have been able to say, you know, we were more cohesive society. We could say no for whatever reason we we can't right now. And um, I'm not sure why that's the case, but we're not doing it. One of the arguments that a lot of the American big tech companies are now marshalling, uh, sensing, uh, you know, anti-China grand strategy sentiment in D.C. is, oh, um, you can't do antitrust against us because now the choice is between American platforms and Chinese platforms. Uh, a, what do you make of that argument? It all seems a little too clever by half. Um, and, and uh, you know, B, um, do you think that that is going to be a, a growing vector to avoid the, the antitrust policies um, that both conservatives and liberals have been looking at um, uh, over the last few years. I think that's going to be a very powerful rhetorical tool that is going to be used. Uh, again, uh, it's not as if Google or Facebook is um, – a really important um, provider of you know, defense technology, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially, it's a telephone company. Yeah. And um, furthermore, it, it's a telephone company that. Um, so what if it 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 we're not the world leader in social media? I mean, I think there's other um, technologies that and other um, pursuits which are, are are probably better for us to be in. Um, I think one of the real problems we have right now is that Google and Facebook are sucking up our brilliant engineers. Mm. I mean, they should be going into you know, material science. They mm. should be going um, into precision engineering. They should be going into you know, nuclear, God forbid. Mm-hmm. But yes, no, th- th- instead they're doing you know emoticons on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm fine with saying, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a horrible, dirty thing to say. It's like, look, we have enough investment mm-hmm. in, in social media. Let them be eaten up by <laughs> TikTok and in, 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 it's not in this country, but in Europe. I don't care if the Europeans are <laughs> are watching TikTok or whatever. Um, and and that's fine. I mean, you know, France just said no to Facebook. It's, and with Germany, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I don't think that these are industries that we should you know, fall on our swords for. Uh, and uh, I, I, in a way, I think it's destructive to have them so it's so rich and so powerful that they're actually sucking up ta- um, talent that should be going elsewhere. So walk us through what um, w- what is the theory of antitrust of breaking up these tech companies um, that that you believe in, and 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 how could that process in a stepwise way be done over the next you know couple of years, and ideally under a Republican president and a conservative governance, but even maybe without it. Right. Well, first, I mean, I, I will say. As conservatives, um, I think the first issue is um, the type of legislation that Hawley presented and, and it's now in, in – um, uh, Haggerty has as well um, – that we have to have protection of conservative speech on the platforms. Mm-hmm. I think that's first before even we get to antitrust because mm-hmm. if we don't have that, we're just going to be crushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be silenced. We will be marginalized. Um, so I think some sort of requirement um, that – the platforms stop their discrimination and censorship of conservative voices is essential. Second, 
I, I, I do think we have to consider antitrust. Um, and that's going to be a science. and That's going to be difficult. I mean, I think that a lot of them do have to be broken up, um, certainly. And, and in a way, I think, and I know I sound very um, uh, old-fashioned in this, but in a way that sort of protects small businesses, um, I think the Republican Party's future is with small businesses. Um, so, for instance, Amazon, you know, Let's let's break up um, its sales platform from its distribution platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and now I know. I mean, <laughs> you know, the missiles are coming over from yeah, Bezos's mansion yeah. right now. <laughs> um, but uh, you, you think about. I, you know, I, I think I talk about Google and and and, and the the social media platforms. I, I will, but you, you think about. A, a technology, which is wonderful. We all love it, okay? We all love Amazon Prime. We all like getting that crap. Um, but it's been so destructive toward just the basic fabric of life because people don't go to stores. They don't see each other. Yeah. Uh, and as well as essentially, you know, totally destroying a gazillion American businesses. Now, of course, you know, the economists are going to say, well, everybody's happy, you know, fat and lazy sitting in their homes. Um, and that may be true. Um, but... You know, at the very least, um, you know, it, 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 it may be true, but um, we could still have a, a type of um, uh, antitrust solution um, where Amazon isn't sitting on all the retailers with all of the data and then saying, oh, you're a successful retailer. Now we're going to have a special deal with you. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem because essentially it's, it, it crushes all innovation because you know that if you're a clever retailer, you have a new idea, all of your rents will essentially be extracted by Amazon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want to protect little guys. And I think that as we move, as conservatives, um, you know, find a place in antitrust, I think it has to be with protecting small businesses. And, you know, the people from AI and our libertarian friends who will say, oh, it's so wasteful. Yeah. It's like we have to say no. There's a social benefit for people engaged in creative capitalist activity, mm -hmm. which is an externality, a positive externality that we should encourage. So I think that's that's first principle. Um, second is... Um, you know, how you know are going to break up Facebook? Exactly what that means? I mean, you know, I think one of the first easiest steps would be really strong interoperability requirements, so that we have multiple platforms and anyone can post on mm -hmm. each other's platforms, mm -hmm. just like we have with telephone companies. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the 1920s, we used to have tele, you know, independent telephone companies, mm -hmm. and you know, if you remember from the old movies, I mean, I don't remember, but there you go the history books mm -hmm. you know businessmen would have three telephones on the desk because there were there are separate telephone companies in large cities and they weren't interconnected mm -hmm. so they had to have uh, uh different telephones we can make the requirement that you know facebook has to interconnect with what, what's trump's new social media company Truth social social yeah, yeah why not and um I, I guess i have one practical question about that i mean most of these social media platforms are different in format. You know, Twitter is all about short 280 characters. Right. Facebook, you can post whatever length you want. TikTok is just videos. I mean, aren't is not the problem with interoperability on the posting side? I've heard that your friend list and stuff and who you follow that's simpler in some ways. Isn't the problem with with posting that that each of these platforms is, is different in kind? Yeah, I, I imagine that we've we, we've seen the same tech entrepreneurs, you know, put their ideas up. But there are platforms. I mean, you know, I've seen you know. Um, technologies where you know you have 
multiple split screens where all of them appear mm -hmm. at once and certain windows, you know, your interoperable window where you can, you know, sort of a, a universal posting where all, mm -hmm. all of the things, I mean, things like Twitter would be difficult, but you mm -hmm. could have, you know, a Twitter box and you could easily post to them as you're posting mm -hmm. elsewhere. Um, these are technologies that, that could be imposed or, or introduced, I guess is yeah. the nicer word. Uh, and you know, you talk about anti, you, know, you talk about um, uh, antitrust reform. I mean, that would really pull the the rug from under them because if 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 the if the product is our eyeballs, well, then we make everyone we make everyone's eyeballs available to everybody. And I think that that would really be the best way to slay the vampire. Yeah, and this sort of thing exists already when companies want it to exist, right. right? So like when Facebook bought Instagram, all of a sudden when you're, and I mean, I haven't had Instagram on my phone in like a year, but last I recall, like when you post on Instagram, you can also hit this button that says share to Facebook, yeah. you know? And the, 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 the format is a little different, but like when they want it to work, they make it work. Right. Um, in fact, I, it was the default. Like I, I remember I had to turn it off as a default yeah, because yeah. of like these random pictures with no captions. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now I would say, if we imposed it, they would also find a way to make it work. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I mean, th there's there's corollaries in 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 um, uh, this is really ancient history, but um, when I was your age, um, this is the issues <laughs> that I would work on, you know, the part sixty nine of of, of 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 the um, uh, FCC regulations, um, you know, the the wire, the jack, the the phone jack. That's a regulatory artifact. Um, and, you know, the FCC said, "Okay, we're going to interconnect, and this is the this, these are the engineering requirements. And you can put a telephone, you can put a fax machine, you can put all the ticker uh, ticker tape, you can put all sorts of things into that jack. Um, we don't care." Um, but that's going to be the interface. And mm. I think that if we're creative, we can move to those sort of solutions. But again, the political economy, you know, with those missiles coming over <laughs> from Jesus' uh, mansion yeah. in Calorama, yeah. um, would make it will make it very difficult. So, yeah, I want to go back to and, and pick up on your point about small businesses. You know, uh, you said our libertarian friends, we don't have to lie and call them our <laughs> friends. Uh, uh, they, you know. They have kind of presented themselves as, uh, you know, in past decades as having the, the mantle of small business owners, right. right? But I think a lot of this big tech stuff shows how little they care. I mean, every time, you know, I drive by a Whole Foods and I see all these like Amazon workers packing people's groceries and like my wife and I are going to the farmer's market on the weekends to like buy all our meat from this guy that comes from like you know, West Virginia to sell his grass fed beef or whatever. I mean, it's, we are basically living in a, in like a surf mindset. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of insane. I, I, I suppose, you know, my, my question here is how can conservatives, true conservatives, because I don't think libertarianism is really included in that, um, how they can be picking up this, you know, mantle of supporting small business owners. Cause I, I don't think it's a, it's like a boomer thing to like want to protect small businesses. I think they're the backbone of communities and thus of society. Um, but how, like, what are the, what are the best ways that we can kind of support them, uh, against these big tech companies that are basically trying to drive them from existence? Well, one is anti, you know, a more serious antitrust, and that requires 
us as you know real conservatives to to get smarter on it and, and mm-hmm. more intelligent because they are they do have the you know intellectual uh advantage on us and 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 um uh they've just bought off more law professors yeah well that <laughs> yeah. well yes i mean at some level i mean that means that we have to work hard and make sure that we get briefs uh, uh to um appellate judges to get some of the really bad ideas out of their heads um that's number one um i think number two and, and this is something where i think a real coalition can be can um be made is that you know when i look at what goes by the name of libertarianism uh, in the city? It's really corporate libertarianism mm-hmm. um, and hedonism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> that's right. It, well, it's sort of like Christopher Lash's "The Revolt of the Elites." It's sort of yeah. like yeah. you know, we can do whatever we want. We don't care if everyone else is on meth. Um, and uh, and so digital math. Digital I think I read math. that in Reason Magazine. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. And uh, so, but there is one area that I think is, uh, and uh, has to do with farmers markets. So my wife owns a cookie business and she's awesome she teaches <laughs> she um she teaches she, she sells at this farmer's market i'm gonna get the link to that yeah. uh, yeah. oh it's, it's it's dolce um italian bakehouse.com that's for, so cool yeah exactly. yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, we're seriously gonna buy <laughs> and um the regulatory requirements and this is something very dangerous the regulatory requirements for small businesses are much much harder to bear than for big businesses because they can't of course spread the cost of of, of compliance over all yeah. their customers. And uh, I, I really think that's an area where um, there's a coalition to be made to be much more conscious of, of regulation and the anti-competitive effect upon regu- of, of regulation um, because it, it's clear um, bigger bu- big businesses can handle it um, and smaller businesses can't. And uh, if we want to encourage that, you know, it's something we can – but again – most of what goes by the name of libertarianism in this uh, town, I think, is more corporate libertarianism, yeah. which means, you know, more beneficial policies mm. for huge corporations. Well, so. and also like concern trolling. So like, I mean, they've gotten really blatant over the last few years, but it's very rare that even the corporate libertarians in this town actively champion themselves as the defenders of these giant companies. They usually say oh, the reason we need Section 230 is because it helps small businesses. You know, your your forum on your small news site can't handle um, actual moderation requirements, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you look at where all their funding's coming from and if you look at, you know, the way they, they immediately just start laughing the second you try to create alternatives to these big platforms, you realize, oh, okay, you guys are just oligarchic sops. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, a, a true desire to, to support small businesses and, and kind of a, Jeffersonian way um, would be a, a way that uh, maybe a more folk libertarianism would, would would be able to rise. And this is why I have a ton of respect for someone like Thomas Massey, who, right. um, you know, genuinely does seem to care about this stuff. I mean, during COVID, when we had meat shortages, um, he wasn't saying, you know, we should deregulate these massive foreign meat companies. His build Prime Act would basically support small U.S. Beef producers, great, awesome. You know the one good libertarian in Washington. But uh, <laughs> Hamilton behind you is cringing that you uh, <laughs> reference Jefferson. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's fine. I mean, basically, what 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 these libertarians are for? They're like for libertarianism for Fortune 500 companies and like serfdom for everybody else. That's right. Like it's not it's not actual libertarianism. Yeah, right. But, but anyway, right. Um, 
Adam, thank you so much for coming on the pleasure. podcast today. A lot of fun. How can people keep up with your work and uh, and and read and your more? wife's cookie business? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, she's on sabbatical right now. She's um she's uh spending more time on on our, our domestic um uh, cooking, from what I hear. <laughs> so I'm very happy with that. But um uh, actually, she'll be back at the uh, Okemos Farmers Market uh, in Okemos, Michigan, in the spring. Yeah. So you know, any of your viewers are there. Are there but um, the website Dolce Italian Bakehouse com. Um, you know, look on SSRN for my articles. I'm not on social media. I really dislike it. And, uh, <laughs> so I, I, that's the only thing I can say. Um, uh, download my law review articles. I know that sounds the most boring thing in the world, but <laughs> I, I don't do social media. I don't like it. And um, I'm sorry. So. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Well, um, uh, thank you for, for everything that you do, for being the wealth of knowledge that you are. And um, thank you for coming on Moment of Truth. A real pleasure and honor. Thank you. Adam really is pretty brilliant, or Professor Kandub, as I uh, am tempted to call him, although he insisted that I call him Adam. Uh, as always, you can find uh, everything about what American Moment is doing on our website at AmericanMoment.org. If you found this tech stuff interesting, there's a ton of other stuff we've uh, posted, you know, podcasts, essays, YouTube videos, short pieces on this topic. And uh, and at this point, we've probably had five or six guests that have just talked about this tech issue. It's something we're certainly focusing on. And if so if you're looking to, to think more about it, to read more about it, to listen to more about it, you can always find more about that on AmericanMoment.org. And if you're looking to actually get tangibly involved, um, uh, AmericanMoment.org slash fellowship. That's where you can apply for the Fellowship for American Statecraft. That's our flagship program where we pay young people to get their first job in Capitol Hill or at a nonprofit organization here in DC. Uh, I've gotten hundreds of applications already, and we hope that that you'll be one of them. We're not looking for the establishment credentials that everyone else is. We're looking for talented, capable, hardworking people who want to get into the fight. Um, as always, please make sure to rate and review this podcast. It really helps us out. I know that you probably hear that on tons of podcasts, but thank Hopefully a lot of you, uh, hundreds of you have stepped up to do so here. Let's get to, I don't know, a thousand reviews this year. Um, that'd be awesome if it, if it could happen. And uh, we're publishing this podcast on all sorts of platforms, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, obviously, but also on Rumble and Getter and other places. So uh, wherever you prefer to get your podcasts or if you want to see our lovely mugs, um, uh, you can go onto the video platforms. Um, be sure to check it out. Repost the clips we post and everything. Uh, at ammoment.org is usually how you can find us on basically any platform. So thank you guys as always for listening. And uh, we hope you'll join us next week for for another episode of Moment of Truth. Moment of Truth is an American Moment Studios production filmed at the Conservative Partnership Center. Our podcast is produced and edited by Jake Mercier and Jared Cummings. Our intro music is A Minor Struggle by Ryan Serenich. Don't forget to like and subscribe on all platforms, and you can go to AmericanMoment.org to learn more.